good morning again. Uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to John chapter number six. John chapter number six. We're going to dive in in just a moment in verse 60. So open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 60. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we've been in a series for a little while now called Come and See. We are studying through the Gospel of John. We are embracing the same invitation that Jesus gave to those first early disciples, those first followers, when he said, hey, I invite you into a relationship. Come and See, And so that's what we've been doing, and we're going to continue to do so. Uh, I was thinking about when we first moved here to Saltillo, and I was thinking about the different ways that we had to figure out how to get around, right? We were new to the area, didn't know everything that was located here, and so it was unfamiliar to us. And so we had to ask, uh, as many new people in an area have to ask, hey, how do you get to wherever? Or do we have one of those? Or can you get to it? What direction do I need to take? You know, whatever that might look like. And most of you know who have been in this area for a long time, there are many ways to get to the same location around here. Uh, Lee County has several different routes. Tupelo has several different routes if you want to get uh, somewhere in the area. This was extremely beneficial during the ice storm, by the way, because if the back roads were a little icy, there was probably another way that was a little more heavily trafficked that might have been a little more clear where you could get to work, uh, maybe a different route than what you would normally take. There's a lot of ways to get to the same places around here. So uh, I bring that up because when we would ask someone how to get somewhere, they would typically give us the easiest way to get to that location. In fact, you may have heard this before when you've asked, how can I get somewhere? If you were, especially if you were new to an area, you might've said, hey, how can I get to such and such in town? And they might go, well, you know, you could take this way down these back roads or you could take the fastest way. This is the way I would go, you know, cause I've lived here my whole life or because you have no idea where you are. How about I just give you the easiest way to get there? Have you ever heard that before? You ask someone how to get somewhere and they're like, here's the easiest possible route. Well, me, like most people, was typically always willing to hear the easiest way to get somewhere. Well, as I was thinking about that, I thought, how true is that in most every area of our lives? I mean, when it comes down to it, wouldn't we just rather easy, any hands in the room? Hey, whatever's the easiest way, like I would much rather just do easy, right? Matter of fact, you may remember some of those commercials that used to come out where it's like, hey, something was hard and here's an easy button, right? Just push the button and everything will be easy, right? Anybody remember those easy button commercials? I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if life just had an easy button? Right, like this marriage thing, Danny, man, it's just really too hard. I wish there was an easy button uh, for my marriage. You know, I wish I could just click and my spouse would be, you know, whatever I want them to be. I wish there was an easy button. Or this raising kids business, Danny, it's way too hard. I really wish there was an easy button. Or this work thing, wow, you know, it's tough. I thought it would be a lot easier when I started adulting, right? Like where's the easy button uh, in life? Or this healthy you know, life thing or this exercise thing or this hobby that I wanna get better at, whatever it looks like, whatever's too hard in life, most of us think, wow, I really wish there was an easy button. How often is this true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus? Oh. Right? All right, Danny, it was funny before, now maybe a little too far, right? Like how, how quick are most of us to say, I really wish that in my relationship with Jesus, there was an easy button. How often is this true when it comes to church? Danny, this Christianity thing is just too 
hard. In fact, how many of us have tried to create an easy button when it comes to following Jesus? Can I just give you a little big picture for today, a little bottom line statement? Friend, listen to me. Jesus isn't the easy way. He's the only way. He isn't the easy way. He's the only way. Now listen, if you found John chapter six, verse 60, I'm gonna show you exactly what I mean. Look at verse 60, that's where we're gonna begin. This, by the way, is the third part in a discussion that we've been in for the last several weeks about a statement that Jesus made to the crowds when he said, I am the bread of life. And in this discussion, all the confusion, all the words he used, all the misunderstood ideas, the people find themselves with a lot of questions. Now, if you miss those, you can go to our website, right? YouTube channel, podcast. I'm not going to re-preach all of those moments. You can catch up at your own pace. But when we get to this moment, a lot of things begin to change in the hearts of the crowd. Look at John chapter 6, verse 60. When many of his disciples, that's Jesus's disciples, heard it, that's the discussion that Jesus has already had, right? I'm the bread of life. I've come down from heaven, eat my flesh, drink my blood. You can have eternal life if you feed on me, right? What in the world is Jesus talking about? And so when they heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? These words that I've told you that you're confused about, are you offended by what I said? And then he goes, Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Hey, you're confused because you're thinking about it according to the flesh, and I'm speaking to you according to the Spirit. The flesh is nothing. The Spirit is life. Jesus is like, you got to get on my level for a minute, crowds. So Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. But there are some, look at verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were and who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And so he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. Now watch this, verse 66, by the way, maybe there's a connection there between John 6, 6, Six, I don't know if that's true or not, but listen to what we find there. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Maybe the saddest verse in all the Bible. So Jesus, after seeing all these crowds leave, he said to the 12, he turns and looks at them, do you want to go away as well? Will you too leave? Simon Peter, as often it was, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, you're it. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Father, Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the opportunity to dig into your truth and to hear from you today. 
God, this is a challenging passage of scripture. This entire conversation that you've been having over the course of the last three weeks is difficult to understand. So God, right now, we know what you're saying is of the spirit, not of the flesh. What we know is that we need you to bring these words to life for us. We need your understanding of what you're teaching us today. So God, right now, we invite you into this place to speak to us as we walk through your word, as we desire your life in us, as we seek to walk obedient to you. God, bless your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, that's a lot of stuff, heavy content, tons of things that we could talk about. So where will we land? Well, what we just read in John chapter six wasn't just happening then, it's happening today. You say, Danny, what do you mean? They wanted easy. We know people today, even us at times, want what's easiest. In fact, there's a growing number of people who think that you can be a Christian without being a disciple of Jesus. In other words, they think there's an easy way. But what I want to show you this morning is that this is foreign to the New Testament. This is foreign to the teachings of Jesus. In fact, I love the way Francis Chan wrote this in his book, Crazy Love. Listen to what he wrote about this topic. He said, some people claim that we can be Christians without necessarily becoming disciples. I wonder then, this is what he wrote, why the last thing Jesus told us was to go into the world, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he commanded. You'll notice that he didn't add, but hey, if that's too much to ask, if that's too hard, then just tell them to become Christians. You know, those people who get to go to heaven without actually having to commit to anything. Wow, what a sad way for Christianity to be described. Listen, it may be funny when we hear things like this. We may even chuckle a little bit and go, yeah, I can't believe people think that or believe that. That's not true about the Bible. But how many of us live this exact way that Chan was writing about? Friend, listen to me. Jesus isn't the easy way. He's the only way. And in fact, after reflecting on Jesus's words here in John chapter six, I'm left, I hope you're left, to wrestle with some serious truths about disciples of Jesus. I wanna show you a few of those because Christianity is more than just a ticket to heaven when you die. It is a commitment to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, let me show you truth number one. You ready? Buckle up, you ready? Following Jesus is hard. What are you talking about, Danny? I've always been told how easy it would be if I just believe, if I just, if I just say a prayer, if I just walk down an aisle. Friend, let me just tell you, if you've never heard this before in your life, following Jesus is simple. I'm not saying that there's a tough, complicated, complex thing that you must do to win your way into heaven. No, no, no. It's simple enough that it's only through Jesus. But just because it's simple does not mean it's easy. Friend, listen to me. If anyone told you following Jesus would be easy, they lied to you. Because following Jesus 
is hard. This is why this conversation opens up with many of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, saying, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, we learn quickly on that the use of disciples in John's gospel does not always mean those who have placed obedient faith in Jesus. When he uses the word disciples, sometimes it means those 12 who are genuinely following him, and sometimes it's just a general designation of those people who are physically walking with Jesus, witnessing his miracles, and wanting more and more from him. We would describe this like there's faith and then there's faith, right? Or there's disciples and then there's disciples. We know that genuine faith and belief always implies obedience. Jesus will later say this in John chapter 8 verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Belief always in the New Testament is not some hopeful, wishful thinking. Belief is an action of trust as I follow after Jesus. That's what he means by, if you abide in my word, if you believe in me, you are my disciples. Obedient faith, genuine disciples is not what John is referring to here when he uses the word disciples. These are non-genuine onlookers of the work of Jesus. And when the rubber meets the road, right, when it really gets serious for them, here's what they find. Jesus's words are just too hard. Now listen, the word hard doesn't mean that they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. The word means harsh. It means offensive. It wasn't their lack of acknowledgement. It was their lack of acceptance. They knew what he was asking of them. They were unwilling to give him what he wanted of their lives. These disciples would choose to walk away from Jesus because they could not abide in his word. Instead, they find what Jesus says to be intolerable. Listen, even for those who grasped the metaphor were outraged. Think about it. The Lord made himself greater than Moses. Oh, we'll fight you right now, Jesus, right? He claimed to come from heaven. You didn't come from heaven. How can you be greater than our fathers, right? He claimed to be one with God. You're not God, right? Like they were ready to just, ah, he was pointing to his death as the way to life. It wasn't that they couldn't understand the discourse. It was that the discourse, in their opinions, was downright offensive. That's why John quotes them with this statement, who can listen to it? In other words, they were done listening to Jesus. They were done with his words. Friends, what about us? Do we choose to follow his words or do we choose to take some of them that are easy for us and leave the hard ones for somebody else? Listen, false disciples come to Jesus for any number of reasons other than Jesus. In this passage, in the greater context, men came to Jesus for miracles. They came to have their bellies filled. They came for political freedom and power. This false gospel is preached, by the way, from the pulpits of churches around the world. This is not new to their day. It's not new to our day. Here's what the, the world would say. Come to Jesus and get wealthy and get well. Come to Jesus and succeed and prosper. Come to Jesus for everything but Jesus. 
False disciples come to Jesus to get something they want from him. Genuine disciples come to Jesus because he is the bread of life. Friends, listen, Jesus knew what was happening in their hearts. Look back at verse 61, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this. This wasn't news to him that they were upset or offended by what he said. That's why he asked the question, do you take offense at this. And then he throws back at them, if you take offense at this, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? You know what he's saying? It's going to get even harder than these words. If you can't accept them, how are you going to accept me when I'm hanging on a cross dying for the sins of the world? Jesus, knowing in himself, this is a phrase that we're plenty familiar with at this point in the Gospel of John. He constantly tells us that what we may hide from others can never be hidden from Jesus. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Back in John chapter two, he refuses to entrust himself to the crowds of people who are after him. You wanna know why? Because he knew they weren't genuine. He knew what was inside of every man. He knows what's inside of each of us. He knew the grumbling that was happening. He knew what they were thinking and who trusted him and who didn't. He knows that same thing in this room today, friends. He knows who belongs to him because we surrendered our lives to him. And he knows those who are faking it, those who will turn away the moment things get hard. Listen, he asked them the same question that he would ask of any of us today. Do you take offense at this? The word offense means to cause to stumble. Jesus is saying, is what I've done here caused you not to believe in me anymore? Has it caused you to no longer want to walk after me? Has it stumbled your commitment? Listen, when Jesus asks you something hard, do you take offense? When he desires your obedience, even over your understanding, do you take offense? When something is difficult to follow, to understand, to trust, do you take offense? Friend, if that's the case, then you better buckle up. Because there will be plenty of moments in life, plenty of moments studying God's word when it will be difficult to understand. It will be difficult to always trust what Jesus is doing. Did you sing that song with us this morning? We don't always know what you're doing, but we know what you've done. Amen? I don't always know. But will I continue anyway? Will we continue to trust Jesus even when it gets hard? Now, maybe you're thinking, Danny... You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what my life is like. Can I be honest with you? I don't. But God does. And friend, listen, it can't be worse than so many others before us who had to trust in God in hard moments. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, I can think about just some of the things we've read recently in our Bible reading plan. If you're reading through the Old Testament with us, here's what you've discovered. What about Noah? Can you imagine the confusion that must have been on Noah's face when God told him to build an ark? First of all, Noah would have said, What is an ark, God? Secondly, he would have said, why do I have to worry about this thing called rain? I don't even know what you're talking about. The confusion on his face would have been incredible. And then as he's mocked day after day after day, how did he not lose control? Matter of fact, for some of you who've been to the Creation Museum with us, Noah would say, scoffers gonna scoff. That's what they were doing to him. Yet you know what he did? He trusted even when it was hard. What about Abraham? We recently read about him in our Bible reading plan. Can you imagine what Abraham was thinking when God told him to leave the only place that he ever knew to go to a place that he didn't even know because he was gonna bless him in ways that he couldn't understand? Anybody else figure that out? Yeah, me either, right? 
What about Abraham when he's 100 years old and God says, hey, by the way, I'm going to give you a son and your 90-year-old wife's going to give birth to him, right? What would you be thinking in that moment? Please, God, no, right? (laughs) That may be a little heretical. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, can you imagine what Abraham was thinking when he finally got that only son and then God told him to take him up on a mountain and sacrifice him? Can you imagine how hard it was for him to understand these things. But you know what? Even with the knife stretched out in his hand, what was he doing? Trusting God, even when it was hard. By the way, if you don't know the story, God provided a ram and he didn't kill his son, Isaac. But guess what? God would eventually sacrifice his son by the name of Jesus, right? Think Jesus didn't know things would get hard? Can you imagine a group of guys named Hananiah and and Mishael and Azariah? Can you imagine what they were thinking when they were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace all because they worshiped God? You might better know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but still, can you imagine what they're thinking? God, we're just honoring you. We're just being what you want us to be. We're just obeying. It's hard. And now we're going to die for it. But no, you don't find them whining. You don't find them complaining. Instead, you find their response to the king like this. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But listen, but if not, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Can you imagine how hard that was? They trusted God, even though it was hard. Do you remember Paul and Silas when they were dragged in front of a mob, beaten with rods and thrown in prison? Oh, by the way, all for being obedient to God. Can you imagine them crying out to him, wondering why would he allow something like that to happen? Why in the world would he allow them to be punished in this way all while being faithful to him? But yet they never do. They're never whining and complaining like I would be whining and complaining. Even when their feet were shackled in that prison, we find them doing one thing, singing hymns and praying to God. Listen, not me, friends. I'm like the crowds who are grumbling, who are bellyaching because I don't want hard. I want what's easy. I want the good life. I want everything to work out for me. I'm like those crowds in John 6 oftentimes, but Paul and Silas, they didn't need things to be easy. You know what they needed? They needed Jesus. And if that minute was in a jail cell, they would go to the cell. That minute was in a fiery furnace, put us in. If that meant taking our kid up on a mountain, here we go. If that meant building an ark, even when I don't even know what it is, I'm with you, God. Is that us? Or do we want the easy way out? I love how John Piper puts this question. He says, this is what every generation needs to ask. Listen to this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or natural disasters... Could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus was not there? Friend, Jesus was looking for that kind of faith then, and he's looking for that kind of faith now. Will you trust him or will you take offense? True disciples come to Jesus not because he dispenses prizes. No, friends, they come to Jesus because he is the prize. If they would take offense at this, at this comparison between their need for bread physically and our need for Jesus spiritually, what would happen 
when he ascended to heaven? What would they do when they witnessed what must be done for him to return to his glory at the right hand of God? Listen to how D.A. Carson puts this confusion for them. Listen to it. If the disciples find Jesus' claims, authority, and even his language offensive, what will they think when they see Jesus on the cross? What will they think to his way of ascending to the place where he was before? What we call this is the supreme scandal. However offensive the linguistic expression, eating flesh and drinking blood may be, how much more offensive is the crucifixion of an alleged Messiah, the Son of God, their King of Kings, who's finally come. Now he's on a cross. He could speak a word and destroy the world, yet he's hanging on a cross and all that shame, carrying the sin of the world, the very idea is outrageous, bordering on blasphemous obscenity. Yet, Paul says this is why it's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now listen to what Carson writes. How men and women respond to this supreme scandal determines their destiny. Think about that. How you respond to Jesus dying for your sins ultimately determines your destiny. Listen, if they struggled to trust his words now, they would really struggle to trust in his salvation provided through the cross. You know what he's telling us? Man, if your faith is only about your will, if your faith is only about your way, friend, it is not faith. You know how the writer of Hebrews describes it? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I may not always see, but will I always trust? Following Jesus is hard. Friend, he's not the easy way. He's the only way. Can I show you truth number two? Look at this. Following Jesus is hard. Also, following Jesus depends on the Spirit. Man, this is like saying it's really hard because you can't even do it in your own power if you worked as hard as you possibly could. It's impossible for you without the Spirit. This is why Jesus says, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. And then he goes on. There's some of you who don't believe. He knows those who don't believe. He knows who would betray him. So he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. It's all through him. I can't even follow Jesus without him helping me to follow Jesus. Spirit gives life. The flesh is useless. Jesus made this same statement to Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says this to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He says, you worship what you do not know, but true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. He addresses something very important for every disciple. Here it is. We need the Spirit of God at work in us. Friends, some people live their life according to the flesh, others according to the spirit. The flesh can never lead to salvation. That can only happen through the spirit. This is why the apostle Paul expounds on this to the church at Rome. Listen to this from Romans 7, 18 through 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells in me. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I can't do it. 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Listen to this from Romans 8.8. 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Friends, we are in the flesh and nothing good dwells in us. We can't please God because the flesh can't please God. We need life. We need spirit. We need rescue from the flesh. This is why Paul would say in Romans 7, 24 and 25, wretched man that I am. I got nothing. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Watch it. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's Jesus at work in me. He would go on to say in Romans 8, 9 through 11, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, listen to it. If Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's Jesus who brings life because it's Jesus who gives the spirit. Jesus has been showing us this all throughout the gospel of John. He said that he's the light of men. He said that it's through him, not by flesh, but by the will of God that we can be children of God. In fact, he says that it's Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, in John 3, he says, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. This is why Jesus can say, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In fact, he's already made a similar statement in John chapter 5. He said, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Listen to me, friends. Jesus is the word. He became flesh so that his words could bring us life. He's everything that we need. If the words of Jesus in this discourse are rightly grasped, then instead of rejecting Jesus, people will see him as the bread from heaven, as the one who gives his flesh for the life of the world, as the one who alone provides eternal life, as the one that they will receive and believe in, taste eternal life even now, and enjoy the promise that he will raise them up on the last day. Listen, I love how Jeremiah put it in Jeremiah 15, 16. He said, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and delight of my heart. I love how Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 in Matthew 4, 4. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the same truth being proclaimed by Jesus about his own words, which makes sense because back in John chapter 1, he is the word of God. His word words are spirit and life because his words bring to life the power of the spirit at work in those who follow Jesus. He knew many would reject him. He knew only those who God granted could believe in Jesus. He knew how Herschel Hobbes put it. Listen to this. God takes the initiative in offering salvation but only those who respond favorably will know it by experience. Friends, we must take his word that bring the spirit to life so that we can do as God wants us to do on our own. We can't do it. We need the word of God. We need the word that became flesh, that took our place so that he could send us the spirit so that we could live by the spirit, not by the flesh. Listen, I'm not saying Jesus is the easy way. 
I'm saying he's the only way. Let me show you truth number three. I gotta hurry up, I know. Following Jesus is unpopular. Listen, it's hard. Definitely not the easiest decision you will ever make. It, it depends on the spirit. You can't even do it on your own. And let me tell you something else. Not even many other people will do it. You want to know why? Because Jesus is unpopular. Remember what he said in John 6, 6, 6? Let that resonate again. Saddest verse in the Bible. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus looked at the 12, right? Said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Jesus presents his 12 with the same option? Could it be that all have walked away except for those 12? Could it be that that's all that's left? You know, most scholars believe at this point in time, there were tens of thousands of people following Jesus. Do you know that most scholars believe at least hundreds of them wanted to overthrow the Roman government and make Jesus their king? They were ready to take up arms just a few moments before this. They're ready to die so that he could become their king. And now, no one's left except the 12. Uh, such a fascinating moment in the life of Jesus. The Lord in this moment draws the line between those who were drawn to him by divine constraint and those who were drawn to him by mistaken ideas concerning him. Those, for instance, were drawn by his miracles or drawn by expectation of a prominent place in the kingdom that they believed was to, about to be established on earth. Listen, people come to Christ, to Jesus, for all kinds of reasons. Some even today come to Jesus hoping for a miracle of healing or some special gift or revelation. Some people come to Jesus under the pressure of some fervent evangelistic appeal. Many of them experience even a psychological conversion, but nothing else. How many have come to Jesus thinking he would be like a genie to give them anything they desired? How many have come looking for fame and wealth and materialism and prestige? How many have come with an agenda with just this option? If Jesus Jesus will do for me, then I will follow him. How many have come to Jesus with this type of attitude, but only end up walking away? You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, Jesus preached this truth when he preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to what he said. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is, listen to it, easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is, listen, hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Friend, I didn't say Jesus would be the easy way. I said he was the only way. I love how F.F. F. Bruce put this moment. Listen to what he said. What they wanted, he would not give. And what he offered, they would not receive. Let me say it again. You ready? Let's do it. What they wanted, he would not give, and what he offered, they would not receive. And then Peter chimes in, right? It's unpopular, without a doubt, but there's Peter. What did he say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This should not shock us. Peter is the one who's always speaking up first, always stepping out when no one will. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but he's always the one that we find. And even Peter certainly couldn't fully understand what he was claiming in that moment. But what he said, you have the words of eternal life, is exactly what Jesus said earlier when he said, the words I have 
have spoken to you are spirit and life. I truly believe Peter was admitting that he didn't have all the answers, but he still believed. This is why he says, now it's for all of them, right? We have believed. We have come to know what significance this has, even though those 12 may have no idea. They have believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They have come to know the life he would offer the world. They had experienced what any of us wish we could have experienced, the life and ministry of Jesus. Matter of fact, those verbs, have believed and have come to know, are both perfect verb forms. What it means is that Peter's saying, with certainty, we have believed and we still believe, even after everyone else walked away. With certainty, we have come to know and we still know that you are the Holy One of God. Most men wanted to see and then they would believe. But the 12 believed and then they were able to see. Friend, have you believed? Have you come to know? Following Jesus is unpopular, but friend, listen, Jesus isn't the easy way. He's the only way. Let me show you truth number four, last one. All of that, right? Danny, you just said following Jesus is hard. I agree. You just said following Jesus depends on the spirit. I know you can't even do it in yourself. Following Jesus is unpopular. Why would any of us want that? I know it's tough, but don't miss this last one. Though all those things are true, following Jesus is possible. It's possible for everyone in this room. In fact, I think the possibility of following Jesus is proved even more by the last few verses that we read today. You may not see it like I do, but let me help show you what's happening. Verse number 70, Jesus answered them. Peter said, you are the one with the words of eternal life. And Jesus said, did I not choose you the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. And he said, Dan, it's an interesting place to say it's possible to follow Jesus as you reference someone who won't follow Jesus. I agree, but go with me. Jesus chose the 12. Even Judas, who would betray him, guess what? Jesus chose him. I don't want you to see Judas's lack of faith. I want you to see the mercy and grace of God for every person in the room this morning. Say, Danny, what do you mean? Jesus would invite his betrayer into his circle of disciples. He would allow him to sit at his feet he would allow him to listen to his teachings, to watch him love others and perform so many miracles. He would give him opportunity after opportunity to be a genuine disciple. Even knowing what Judas would one day do, Jesus invited him. It's interesting that Jesus would spend so much time in prayer before he would ever choose the 12 disciples. You say, Danny, if he knew that Judas would betray him, why did he become one of the 12? Friend, there's a lot of things that we could look at on the meaning of devil and why Judas is called that and what the plan was of God in Judas's life. There's plenty of things we could talk about. But I want you to hear something that I read this week that I thought was profound. Suffice to say presently that in Judas, as in the other 11, Jesus saw qualities which, if dedicated to him, would make him a valuable member of the group. But Judas, unlike the others, did not give himself to Jesus. 
The only one from Judea, he evidently was even more possessed by the concept of a political, military Messiah. He had been severely shaken by the events of these last two days. If he was the instigator of them bringing Jesus to be king, the revolutionary effort, then Jesus' actions here had been a rebuke to his goals. His words in the synagogue that day had further disturbed Judas. He now saw clearly that he was mistaken in his initial idea about Jesus. How many people are mistaken in their initial idea about Jesus? So many. He knew he was mistaken. Therefore, he was beginning to have second thoughts He must reappraise the situation and plan a new course of action. It will be a year before he will make his fatal decision to betray Jesus. But the devil has found a likely tool in him. Reminds me of the story of Cain and Abel. When God says, hey man, sin is crouching, it's hidden at your door. Remember that? There it is. Devil's found a tool in Judas. Jesus also had been reassessing Judas. Probably observing his actions during those two days, he saw the seeds of betrayal beginning to work. So, listen to this. Without calling his name, he sought to warn him against such. It's not too late for Judas to change. But Jesus cannot alter his own course as a spiritual Messiah. This is his true nature. Listen to this. Men will either have to accept or reject Jesus as such. It was the beginning of the end for Jesus. You know what it also was? The beginning of the end for Judas. I thought to myself, man, following Jesus is hard. It certainly depends on the spirit. You know what I realized? I'm like, man, it is not a popular thing to choose Jesus. This following after Christ is not for the easy button people. It is a serious commitment to lay down your life so that Jesus can live. It's hard. But friend, listen to me. Jesus never said he was the easy way. He said he was the only way. I wonder how many people may be like Judas in the room this morning. You say, wow, Danny, you calling me Judas? I'm not. Just go with me. I wonder how many chances he's given you to accept the word. I wonder how many opportunities he's placed before you so that your life could be different. How many experiences he's allowed you to have. How many worship services. How many times he's allowed you to sit at his feet and still you reject him. Hey, can I let you in on some good news this morning? I don't care how many times it's been. I don't care how bad you think you are. I don't care how far gone you think you might be. I don't care if you walked in here this morning thinking if I walk in, the whole roof's gonna fall down on us. I don't care if that's you this morning. Because listen, if Jesus would choose Judas, if Jesus would give him opportunity after opportunity, then friend, here's what I know. The same God that grants us access to Jesus grants you access to Jesus. The same God who put his son on the cross for the sins of the world, put his son on the cross for your sins. The same God who empowers me to live by the spirit because my flesh can't do it is the same God who wants to empower you. Maybe today you say, Danny, I've been the one who's had a misconception of Jesus. I've had the wrong idea of what following him looks like. I'm not a disciple. Well, friend, can I tell you something? Just like Judas, Jesus extends another opportunity 
Just like Judas, Jesus will wash your feet too. Just like Judas, Jesus extends the invitation. Will you come and see? Will you follow him? Hey, Christian, can I leave you with a thought this morning too? I know following Jesus is hard. I'm right there with you. Some days are good, some days are bad, right? I know that I equally need repentance just as much as any lost person in this room. You wanna know why? Because I didn't do yesterday what I should have done either because my flesh is weak. I need the spirit. I know it's hard. I know it depends on the spirit and us yielding to him through the word as he empowers us to live and understand and know what he wants. It takes the spirit, I know. I wonder, Christian, listen, if you're here going, Danny, I... I feel so alone at times because following Jesus is not a popular thing to do. I, I know. Can I tell you something? If you ever thought something different than that, then you didn't understand the gospel. He never said he was the easy way. He said he was the only way. So if you're a Christian in the room this morning, you say, Danny, I resonate with all three of those things you just said. Well, friend, listen to me. You are in good company. So did the 12. But I wonder if you need the same challenge that Peter issued back then. I wonder if you need it today. If Jesus was to say, will you too turn away? Listen, you don't have to have every answer. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to, I don't either. Your response simply has to be, Jesus, though I don't know, where else would we go? Hey friend, maybe you've been turning to a lot of other things. It will never satisfy. Jesus alone. Not because he's the easy way, but because he's the only way. Friend, I don't know how this whole conversation in John 6 is impacting your life, but I know how it is mine. And here's what I always know. When God's word is preached, it demands a response from us. So listen, if you need Jesus today, I'm gonna pray and I'll be in that lobby. I'd love to take my Bible. Brother Corey will be back there. Other folks will be back there. We'd love to take just a moment and say, hey, here's what it means, really means to be a follower of Jesus. And listen, it's not all rainbows and cupcakes and butterflies. It's gonna be difficult. It's not easy, but it's the only way. Or Christian, if you need to pray, spend some moments with Jesus, spend some time with God. I don't know what it looks like, but here's what I know. There is no one else. He's the only one who has the words of eternal life. Maybe today we need to turn back, spend a few moments with Jesus, asking him to work in our lives. Father, we love you. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for our time together in your word. God, I'm thankful.